You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. So today we are continuing our uh, baseball month movie madness. Uh, we watched Moneyball this time around. So we were actually able to watch this together, which is great, considering that we watch most of our movies remotely. But for the time being, with the holiday, we decided that it was a good time to be able to rewatch one of the best baseball movies uh, that have come out at least in the 21st century. So uh, this one stars Brad Pitt. Philip Seymour Hoffman, and uh, additionally, it also stars Jonah Hill in one of his earlier roles as well, and uh, I believe this was actually one of Jonah Hill's first non-comedic roles, where he really gets a chance to shine and show his range. Obviously, we know Brad Pitt's been in a ton of movies, but, you know, this is just one of those ones where uh, the, the critics just love this, and the audiences did too, and you don't often get that with modern baseball films because there was another movie that came out i think a year later called trouble with the curb mm. with clint eastwood and it's kind of about the exact opposite of what this movie is all about and we'll get into that um when you read the summary but uh just a couple more things on moneyball it released in 2011 it was directed by bennett miller who directed capote in 2005 with philip seymour hoffman he also directed, of course, Moneyball and Foxcatcher in oh. 2014. And I believe that's one that we have reviewed we for have the podcast, reviewed. right? I'm sure our listeners have heard the entire catalog and know that. Yeah. Uh, this movie was made on a budget of $50 million, and it made $110.2 million. So it was a hit at the box office. It made over two times its budget, which is kind of unheard of for a baseball movie. I feel like in today's day and age, it'd be quite a notable thing if uh, a film centered around baseball made over $100 million in the box office. But Brad Pitt is a huge draw for a lot of people, and I think there was some good pedigree around this one as well. It was an adapted uh, film, too, so it was a book beforehand. Right. And as I recall, the book was... I don't, I don't remember a lot of uh, discussion about the book, but I remember thinking or hearing that when the film came out, that people were excited because of the level of notoriety the book had yeah absolutely prior to the film yeah. and then sometimes you know it's very difficult to adapt such a story but uh, this one worked out in uh, its favor in terms of critics mm -hmm. but you were talking about the book why don't we get a summary of the movie okay billy bean played by brad pitt general manager of the oakland a's one day has an epiphany baseball's conventional wisdom is all wrong faced with a tight budget bean must reinvent his team by outsmarting the richer ball clubs joining forces with ivy league graduate peter brand played by Jonah Hill, Bean prepares to challenge old-school traditions. He recruits bargain bin players whom the scouts have labeled as flawed, but have game-winning potential. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Based on the book by Michael Lewis. <laughs> Absolutely. And to sort of expand on that, um, it kind of goes in with the title as well. Baseball is obviously a game. It's a business at the end of the day. And uh, the players that you can receive are pretty much beholden to your budget. So, for example, if you are the New York Yankees, you can spend hundreds of millions on excellent players that will most likely get you to the World Series championship and hopefully win it for you. 
And if you were the Oakland Athletics, especially back in the early 2000s, you had a much smaller budget, under 50 million. So you can see why that would make it significantly more difficult um, and just generally challenging to create a better ball team. And it kind of creates this endless cycle of losing teams and winning teams. And at the end of the day, it's Moneyball, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so additionally, this movie kind of goes into what would happen if you were to disrupt uh, an industry that was over a century old in terms of scouting players. Now, a lot of people, the old school way is being able to have a feel for talent, right? Seeing some statistics, seeing how they play, and just generally having a feeling that isn't informed by numbers necessarily uh, as to how they'll do. Now, this movie kind of takes the idea of sabermetrics, which is computer-based uh, computer based statistical allocation to determine a ball player's actual value. So undervalued players, which many people would probably overlook, uh, are kind of the ones that they're going after in this movie. So it's cool. It's kind of a story about an underdog, creating an underdog team. Uh, but it's less so about that and more about the business side of baseball. And I think that's fascinating because most baseball movies are just for the sake of baseball and for the love of the game. And that's great. But at the end of the day, there's more tales to be told. And I think Moneyball did a really interesting spin on this. I agree. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, the film as much as says this too, it's an art and a science. Mm -hmm. And this film leans into the science, which is frankly the rub, right? That Billy yeah. Bean has had this epiphany that, you know, after losing in the division series, and then I think the championship series, he's like, we got to do something different if we're going to, you know, get to where we really want to be, to, to win, to go all the way. And and so what's interesting about this movie is that it's, you know, 2011. I don't know what year the book was written, but if you think about a lot of professions today, mm -hmm. mine included, they have become far more reliant on data, in large part because data has become far more available and mm -hmm. accessible. But I think this is almost, uh, you know, it's going back to, what, 12 years now, to the film itself is it's sort of shining a light on what the future would hold and the future is now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially where the movie takes place back in 2001, 2002. Yeah. Cell phones were barely a thing. Mm -hmm. Smartphones were certainly not. Yeah, they're still using landlines. Yeah. You, you know you, a film ages or a film has aged when you see people still using landlines. Yeah, and you know, I kind of appreciate that because I sometimes I forget how analog Mm -hmm. uh, office work was mm -hmm. printing papers, mm -hmm. not using your computer nearly as much for everything, not Googling mm -hmm. stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You're, what you're doing is just kind of going through charts and, uh, you know, technical analysis. So it's pretty fascinating just to see how much has changed in that time. And given that baseball is the institution that it is, what Billy Bean is trying to do, the main character in this movie is he gets a lot of pushback mm -hmm. from it. Because people say, well, why change something that has been one way for the entirety of its uh, life? So you can't do that. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. So I think that makes for sort of a fascinating story. But uh, all that said, what did you think of Moneyball the second, third, fourth time around? Yeah, I remember seeing this one in the theater. And I remember at the time um, not knowing much about Moneyball, whereas I said many people were familiar with the story because of the book. Mm -hmm. I was not at all familiar with the book. And so I went to the movie thinking, okay, baseball movie, 
I hope I like it kind of thing. Because to your point, too, most baseball films are centered around the characters. Right. Um, so if you think about some other films that uh, we're going to talk about later in the month, they're really focused on one particular player or the transformation in a person's life mm -hmm. uh, as they play the game. So I went into it thinking, okay, I'm, I'm game. And I uh, came out of it very, very, very satisfied. This is a winning film, Noah. <laughs> it definitely is. I mean, in the literal sense as yes, well. Yes, it is. Yeah, I also forgot Chris Pratt stars uh -huh. in this movie. He's yeah. a supporting uh, role in this. Right. But um, yeah. I feel the same way. I remember liking Moneyball back when I watched it, and I was probably a teenager, 12 or 13, mm -hmm. uh, when it originally did come out. So I didn't entirely understand the business side of everything right. that was going on, but I generally enjoyed it. Uh, watching it again uh, 12 years later mm -hmm. or so, it kind of gives you a new appreciation for what this film really did because it just... Even as a non-baseball fan, I think you can be fascinated by the story it tells because everybody loves an underdog story. But it's also fascinating to get the angle of business and what goes behind being the general manager of a baseball team. Yeah, you know, it's not just about picking players. There's so much business mm -hmm. associated with it, and that's what makes these giant teams. Because when you think of the 30 teams that are in the MLB, you might be thinking to yourself, "Well, they're all kind of the same, right? Because they're all Major League Baseball." But uh, not everything is created equal, That's and uh, that severely affects uh, how teams can perform over time. And I think I really like how, even if you don't love the game itself, it does a really good job of explaining a complex topic of business and then giving it to a general audience without making it so dumbed down that it feels like it's just trying to be an expository story the entire time. I think it does a really good job of sharp dialogue, good characters, and generally just making the audience entertained, satisfied, frustrated, but also coming out with a general sense that Moneyball is just a great movie. Yeah. So how many Red Sox fans do you know? Oh, boy. Well, having gone to college with a bunch of uh, New Englanders, quite a few. Okay. So how many Yankee fans do you know? Having gone uh, to college with a bunch of Northerners, quite a few. Uh, do you know many Dodger fans? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Uh, well, Cardinal fans? are there. Uh, yeah, a few here and there. Okay. Well, the reason I ask is because that's what I think makes this story even more compelling. I know it's a true story, too, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't know too many Oakland Athletics fans. Yeah. And that's what makes this the quintessential underdog story. For right? sure. I mean, the only other team that I can uh, think of, ironically, is the team they're playing in the 20th game uh, when they you know, pulled it out at the end was, was the Kansas City Royals. So mm -hmm. I just think that uh, there's... There's just a lot to like about this film because it is not a marquee uh, MLB club, right? You know, right. it's it's quintessential underdog. And and honestly, it's a story I did not know. As a baseball fan, I still did not know the story until I watched the film. Yeah, me too. And I'm surprised because at the time I was very well read on a lot of older baseball I history. I remember, yeah. Um, you know, breaking the color barrier, the dead ball era, uh, the White Sox scandal mm -hmm. of, uh, or Black Sox scandal Black, of uh, yeah. 1919. So there was a lot of stuff that I knew about baseball, but it seems like with a record this big and on, you know, such a small scale, uh -huh. I would have known about that, but well, I didn't. And it's only, what, 21 years ago? 22? Yeah, 20. Yeah, not long yeah, at all. So it's sort of like, where were we at the time, right? Because this is definitely a story that I was would born. have been... 
Okay. Well, I was not. Or so five. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so it's a. This is this is a really good, really strong movie for a lot of reasons that I think we'll get into in just a few minutes. But I'm I'm a big big fan of of Moneyball. Moneyball, and I do want to say too that at the beginning you that there was a little bit of irony in that it's baseball month and you opened us up as we both typically do by saying hello hello and welcome to what the show the show which of course is what the major leagues are so so very cool all right uh i would definitely recommend this movie to uh pretty much almost anybody who has an interest in sports Mm -hmm. um you don't even have to know baseball it's just it's a good film all around yeah it's interesting i think we watched it with one or two people who are not big into baseball and i think that they're the they enjoyed it too yeah from what grace saw of it she was enjoying it right i know she was well rested at the end too but (laughs) you know it's um you know we started it at night and uh it's not you know it's over two hours what two hours and 14 minutes or something like that but i knew what i was getting into and i knew i was going to enjoy it again and um it was interesting because when we started talking about baseball month i thought "Hmm, should we do moneyball because you and i have both seen it more recently in the last decade, that is, yeah. because it came out. But I'm glad we did, because it just reminded me of what a really strong film it, it really is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a lot stronger than last week's entry into Baseball Month. I'm just saying. I, I completely agree. And if you do want to watch this, it is on Peacock. So we'll let you know that we're going to get into sort of spoiler territory. All right, folks. So every day, I do a bit of a mailbag on subscribers. <laughs> a little Ben Shapiro. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. So, anyway. Uh, sorry. All right, folks. We're going to go into spoilers. If you have not seen the movie and you want to, go ahead and do that. And then come back and listen to the podcast. If you've seen the movie or you're not going to watch it and you don't care, but you just want to hear our opinion, go ahead and listen on with us. You have been warned. Okay. So, we kind of got a little bit into spoiler territory. Spoilers. They win the uh, they win 20 in, 20 a, row, games in a row. Which no is... other Major League Baseball team has done that before or since. Mm-hmm. Right. And here's another point about baseball movies that I think is important to sort of put out there. A lot of them are feel good, and it's great to have a feel good movie, right? Mm-hmm. We like it when something wraps up very nicely, when. You know I do. Yeah, when things turn out very well at the end. But I also think it's important to be able to understand that even though there was a big win here, it's great that it happened in real life, you know, so they weren't embellishing anything, right? Because if this hadn't happened in real life and they took a Frankenstein team together and then, you know, made it the most winning ball club out of the entire history of baseball, that would have been a little bit far-fetched. But I think the story is amazing because of that. But I also like that it ends kind of in a bittersweet way Uh like everything's good he set the record he was able to achieve what no other gm had done before but he gets this huge offer from the red sox Mm -hmm. for 12 and a half million dollars and he turns it down to stay in oakland with his daughter but also just for the team that he's been with for so long and i think you know he's still with them too that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't realize. That I know at the end of the movie up. they say, you know, he's still trying to win that. Yeah. Um, still trying to win the last game of the season. Right. So I, I think that's just. I think it's a fascinating character study of uh, who he was, but I also enjoy that. I also enjoy that this movie doesn't end with him just taking the money and running, mm-hmm. and then just saying, "Oh, you know, everything's going to be perfect from here on out." 
I think it just shows the conviction that he had. Yep. Commitment. Yep. I agree. And while so much around this movie revolves around money, that's not the driving factor. Mm -hmm. That's just a part of it that Mm -hmm. allows you to be successful, but it's like what you do with it that ultimately determines how good you can be. And I think that kind of ties in really well with who he is as a character. Yeah. But I will say he, what the movie didn't say was he got um, ownership of part of the Oakland uh-huh. Athletics, uh-huh. 2% ownership, mm-hmm. which is valued at about $22 million mm-hmm. today, and I think about $8 million at the time. So, sure, he was taking a $4.5 million pay cut, but either way, it was, uh, it was a pretty nice boost to what he had before. Yeah. And he eventually did become the most uh, well-paid GM in history. Mm. Uh, what I like a lot about this movie is that you get to see... I mean, I guess you get to see this in other baseball movies too, but it's a side of the the business side, back to your earlier point mm-hmm. of, you know, there's a little bit of Jerry Maguire going on in here with, you know, the, the, the agents and, mm-hmm. and just sort of making deals. And, and, and you have to admit, no matter how um, much has changed from the actual story to the film, mm-hmm. the whole notion of the Jonah Hill character um, just being this almost fish out of water, Yale graduate, sort of unassuming, but super sharp, super smart. And that Billy identifies that talent super early in the film mm-hmm. and they become this formidable team that no one believes. Everyone yeah. thinks is absolutely crazy. In particular, the the um, manager of the, uh, the team at the time, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. And... Uh, you know, again, it's just, uh, it's you and me against the world kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Big fan. And then another thing I just want to say about the actors in this movie, I feel like everybody who was had any sort of prominent screen time did an excellent job. I think Philip Seymour Hoffman did his usual trademark, uh, you know, role that he usually does. He's more of an understated guy rather than, you know, extremely animated character. But I thought he did a good job as sort of like an aging baseball coach who would uh who was just kind of worried about his contract yeah. and where he would go just wondering where his next sort of job would be and just his disbelief mm-hmm. because you know he's been in the system for so long mm-hmm. and he's been used to doing it a certain way he thinks billy is sabotaging him right so i think he did a good job his interactions with billy um i thought brad pitt as billy bean he's always great um i think he added a lot of interesting nuance to the character and I really enjoyed how it, they were able to flesh out the small things about him, too. He would never watch games. He would just go work out or he'd go do something else because he thinks he'd be jinxing it. And when he finally does go to the game, that could be the record setter. They're up 11-0, and then they come all the way back. And it's just interesting. I love to see... If I would have left. Exactly. I love to see what his ticks are. And I love to see how he does business because at the end of the day, he does care about this game just as much as he, you know, understands the business side of it. And I think being able to identify that raw talent um, is, you know, part of what makes you really good on the management side of the baseball team. I think Jonah Hill's character was also very good. Understated for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, doesn't have way too much dialogue, but he does a really good job uh, proving I think sometimes when you know there's a smart character in a movie, they kind of really try to play him up too much. I like how basically his dialogue is relegated to his responses to Brad Pitt. Yeah. Brad Pitt's like, give me this metric. Yeah. Would you take him? What's good about him? What do you like about him? What do you not like about him? Yeah. And I think that really plays well into the character that he is instead yeah. of just the guy who storms into a room and says, all right, this is what we need here. This is what we need here. 
it, it's almost ironic, right? He's so talented, but he's, that talent only really comes out when somebody recognizes it. But yeah. I also think that's really well tied into the message of the team that he created. These are talented ballplayers. They can play the MLB level. Maybe not as much as stars, but when they're given these opportunities to work together, they get on base, and they can make something out of a struggling franchise. Yeah. So I really like that. Yeah, I think the film does a really good job of sort of um, interspersing uh, real footage mm -hmm. from games. And, you know, of course, as baseball fans, you and I recognize a lot of the marquee players that the, the um, uh, athletics had before they, by and large, were looted oh, by yeah. other teams, largely yeah. the, the Red Sox. So that that's kind of fun, too. I think the best scenes in the film are when Billy Bean, Brad Pitt, are um, is negotiating with mm -hmm. different GMs for different players. Yeah. And Jonah Hill is opposite him his desk and yeah. he's just going to him saying, you know, who do we do? Who do we take? You know, and, and just there's just it that the dialogue cracks, the 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 energy is there and the relationship is being built there. Yeah. I, I I'd say the scene where he's kind of making deals to go get those specific players, um, is kind of like the big scene mm -hmm. in the movie in terms of what might be Oscar bait or right. some kind of winner. But I, I think there's just so many moments in this film where it's, you know, it's, it's understated. It doesn't, it doesn't try to be too Hollywood and it doesn't try to be so like true to life that it's just kind of a dry story. I think it does a good job of balancing both in a way that's palatable for audiences because this stuff on its face is actually not that interesting. No, it's not. It, it never, this film never tries to be over the top no. or is successful in not being over the top. Um, you just mentioned Oscar bait, so I'm going to say this. Um, I'm not a huge Brad Pitt fan. He's fine. You know, he's the same in every movie, I think. I feel like um, you like a lot of his movies, though. Um, yeah, I think I do, too. And I think he's great in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think he's This Is This and Meet Joe Black, which no one liked, um, mm -hmm. are, are my two favorite uh, films with Brad Pitt in them. Do you like Seven Years in Tibet? I never saw it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. I did like Seven, though, a whole lot. Seven's really good. Noah? What's in the box? Yeah. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> but I think that uh, this is, in my opinion, my very favorite Brad Pitt film or film with Brad Pitt in it because it, it's not uh, this this performance that is so standout. Mm -hmm. And because it's not so standout, it's kind of a standout performance. He was nominated for an Academy Award for this. Yeah. Jonah Hill was as well. Um, and Jonah Hill is the revelation because I don't really know that I've seen too many Jonah Hill films when he was a comedian, mm -hmm. um, but he still plays in comedy and I thought he did, but I like the fact that I love it when an actor who is known for a certain genre comes out of that genre and surprises us. Oh yeah. And boy, oh boy, does Jonah Hill surprise us in this film. So there's that, um, you know, Chris Pratt has a, has a very small part, but, uh, likable, you know, especially given the fact that he has the, what is it, Hatterberg? Hatterberg? Yeah, he's the one who, um, you know, gets the home run that takes them to their 20th win. Yeah. That's my favorite scene in the movie when, when the crack of the bat and, yeah. and Brad Pitt's in the in the locker room or the weight room and he, he just hears the crack and of he the knows. bat and, yeah, and you just know something special is happening. There's that. Um, overall, I just think it's just a really, really good movie. It's not boring. Ever. No. I don't think it's ever boring. It, it feels a little long, but it could have been that it was 10, 15 last night. But I 
uh, this is among one of my this is among my favorite baseball films, among my favorite sports films that I have seen, and mm-hmm. I've seen a lot. Yeah, and to your point about the runtime, so Cats was like thirty minutes shorter than this, basically. Oh, please don't remind me. Right, but I felt every waking minute every, of Cats no, every, runtime, every second. Yeah, for this for Moneyball, you know it's going to be long, and I mean in the back of your mind you know it's a longer film, but. It's paced in such a way where, you know, there's always something to learn. There's always something fascinating that keeps you, I guess, distracted mm-hmm. from the runtime uh, in such a way that it just allows you to enjoy the movie and not think about how long it is. Uh, and some people might be rolling their eyes saying, come on, two hours and 16 minutes. Like, you know, that's that's standard for a lot of movies. Oh, yeah. But, Most of them these days are longer than that. But I think there's also something to be said about a movie that makes you respect its time uh-huh. as well uh-huh. because sometimes you kind of have to make a justification for why your movie has to be so long mm-hmm. and um i think moneyball in this instance just does a great job of having so many different elements mm-hmm. different character stories different motivations and then bringing them all together to make something really fantastic yeah. that just doesn't feel long at all i also think that uh, and this might surprise you but i think i turned to you since we were sitting next to each other while we were watching this last night this movie has one of my very favorite endings, and in my mind, one of the most memorable endings uh, of a film that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they win the 20th game, mm-hmm. and it has everything to do with the fact that he is just driving, and he puts the CD in of his daughter singing the song that is called The Show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a really special kind of very satisfying closure to this film. And I remember that from watching it the first time. Mm-hmm. I remember looking forward to it, watching it the second time. And right. this was either the third or the fourth time I'd seen the film. And I turned to you and I said, this is the end, right? Because yeah. I was so looking forward to that sequence, which is probably a minute long, maybe a little bit longer than that, but not much. It's just very satisfying. Yeah, I do think it's one of the great movie endings. In fact, I've actually gone back on YouTube and watched it three or four times mm-hmm. over the years because, you know, it's something that actually does stick with you. Mm-hmm. It's understated in a way that... Um, you know, I feel like most people know the movie's coming to an end, but I like how the song doesn't even end right. before the screen goes black right. and you see the text across the yep. screen. He's driving and the camera gets blurry. A lot of stuff is out of focus mm-hmm. and it's shaky. And it just feels like, it just feels kind of like he's he's realizing something and, you know, he's gone through this giant entire battle and, you know, there's no grand finish, no finale. I kind of like how in the song that she wrote for him, she's just saying, you know, you're such a loser, dad. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy the show. Because he's, it's ironic, right? He's not a loser, but he keeps these things in his mind. The fact that he won 20 games, um, the, the fact that he didn't win the World Series bothered him more than uh-huh. the fact that he set an all-time record. And so she's kind of saying, you're such a loser. Get over yourself. Get dad. over yourself. Just enjoy yeah. where you are. Mm-hmm. And I like and how, isn't that so real in life? It is because we're you never know, happy enough, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the subplot of him having made it to the majors and been told, you know, you're going to be great kid and him just not having a good time in the majors really adds Number to Number one that. draft pick. And then the whole thing, you know, they said the level of talent that he has. I mean, you know, when they're those flashback scenes where they're talking to his parents and he's like, you know, most players have two of these skills. Your son has all five and i mean the sky's the limit and then 
the, it just the way the world works, right? Yeah, he misses out on Stanford yeah. full ride yeah. scholarship. He's in the league for four years, and then he just kind of gets canned. Yep. I like how his career never takes off in baseball. Exactly. Um, and it's it's so funny because uh, I really like that line with Jonah Hill. So Brad Pitt's drinking, and he's kind of just ruminating over the meeting with the Cleveland Indians at the time, and he's just he calls up Jonah Hill and he says. Where would you have pay, uh, where would you have drafted me? Yeah. And he's like, Oh, you're a great player. First yeah. round. And he goes, No, where would you have drafted me? me? And he says, ninth round. Yeah. No <laughs> signing bonus. And he's yeah. like he's like, Yeah. There's an honesty to this film that, you know, and again, you just don't know how much of the because it's it's based on a true story, you never quite know how much of how many liberties are taken. Well there but were it's just some done well. Exactly. Done there were well. some liberties. Yeah, there so, have to be. So in for order example, to make it a two hour and fourteen, fifteen, sixteen minute movie. But Go ahead. Yeah, the movie kind of <clears throat> it kind of places the emphasis on like the batters mm-hmm. of getting on base mm-hmm. more so than so Oakland at the time actually did have some pretty darn good up and coming pitchers mm-hmm. like they're uh, they had pretty good closers yeah. some starting pitchers and closers. Now they weren't all stars the likes of the Yankees, but they went on to do actually some of them went on to play for the Yankees. I think they had Mark Mulder mm-hmm. was one of them, oh, yeah. and there was probably two or three other people players on their pitching staff that were good enough to kind of keep carrying the team and to, because I mean, if you get on base, that's great. Right. But you also have to make sure the other team doesn't score. Right. Yeah. So I, they focus much less on that, but I think that's also appropriate. Um, I think it's fine. They probably could have thrown some dialogue in there about it, but at the same time, the more fascinating part about it is that they took people who were not going to be, their career was over. Essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they took people, bought them for super cheap and then created a winning team out of that. Yeah. And that is ultimately, I like what they said here. You paid, the Yankees paid, you know, millions for each win. You paid like 225000 Yeah. And I think that's just beautiful because it's really, it is really an archaic way of thinking, right? You think in terms of star power. You pay $7.5 million for a guy who does pretty well, but does he get on base as much right. as he should? This is all about getting on base. Yeah. The other thing, too, I think I like about this script is that Billy never comes off as arrogant. He comes off as confident. Right. Um, but and determined. But, yeah, determined, driven, but not arrogant. I mean, there are times when he's flipping over desks and, mm. you know, uh, coolers and things like that. But he never comes across as um, anything but convinced that this is the way to go about achieving the level of success that he believes they can achieve. And I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just another one of the film's strengths, and there's just so many moving parts that work here. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, uh, Moneyball is a winner. Yep, really I'm with is. you. I'm with you. So, Noah, on a scale of five Zs, how many Zs are you giving Moneyball? Uh, Moneyball gets four and a half Zs okay. out of five. Yeah. Great. Yeah. It, really great film. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I was going to go with four and a half as well. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a, a must-see sports film. Mm-hmm. And among the strongest baseball films you can uh, watch. For sure. And, I mean, we're going to watch a couple more baseball yep. movies this month that are pretty, pretty well-loved. So, um, see how it stacks up. Yep. Okay. That's Moneyball, everybody. Perfect. All right. Um, so, let's go into our Check It Out. All right. So, I've got one Check It Out. Um, if you play any sports video games, uh, then you might know that you know baseball season just started. And MLB The Show. Do you know how people know baseball season just started? Because of ZZ Talk, the podcast has moved to baseball films for the month of April. That's how people know. (laughs) That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Um, But regardless, um, 
Yeah, MLB The Show 23 just came out. And Who's it, on the cover? Um, I think it's Jazz Chisholm Jr. Uh, he's a uh, newer player. I think he's been playing for probably two or three years. Um, but uh, it's, it's actually a fantastic game because most people think that sports video games are kind of the same thing over and over each year. And for a lot, that's very true. But um, this year actually includes a very special mode called uh, the Negro Leagues. Uh, so it talks about the history of some of the forgotten players uh, when the color barrier was still in effect. And then, you know, Jackie Robinson was a part of that. But it also talks about people like Rube Foster, um, who's simultaneously a manager and a player, and many other uh, forgotten players who were a part of that league. And I think it's just a really good spotlight onto the history of baseball and how important it was for, you know, Jackie, Robin, uh, Jackie Robinson to sort of start um, uh, the integration mm-hmm. of professional baseball. But it does a really good job of just diving back to some of those hidden talents and forgotten heroes mm-hmm. of baseball history that never really got their due. So that's a really good mode. I did not realize that. Yeah, so they added that this year. They had added that. Yeah, it's also free on Xbox Game Pass. Um, oh, it, good. I'll, it's, I'll download it. Well, if you have an it's Xbox. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but if you've been if you've had a PlayStation for the past ten years, people know that the game has only been available on PlayStation. So for the past three years, it's been available on Xbox. So definitely check out the show twenty twenty three if you play video games at all. Really all cool. Right. So my check it out is a TV show. Imagine that it is presently number two on Netflix, and it is called Beef. And beef is uh, essentially short for two people who encounter one another in a road rage scenario and end up having a beef with mm-hmm. each other, the, you know, the use of the term. And, and we're only two episodes in. I think it's 10 episodes. It stars Stephen Yoon from uh, a lot of things. Fundamentally, I think many people know him from The Walking Dead. That's Gwen. Uh, and Ali Wong, who I know, uh, she's a stand-up comedian, but uh, she was also an American housewife as well. So... They're, uh, you know, they're the, the, the two who encounter each other and just it appears as though in each episode they are trying to one-up each other and making each other's lives miserable. So it's, it's an interesting take. I think it's going to be one of those water cooler kind of shows yeah. that, uh, you know, a lot of shows have become over time. And so uh, I recommend it. It's called Beef on Netflix. Check it out. Yeah, that's a pretty clever premise. That might be something. Uh, that might be something Grace and I check out. And by the way, the episodes are maybe forty minutes or less, and we know who likes that. Yeah, pretty standard. Well, Grace and I have been looking for something new to start mm-hmm. since the Last of Us ended, which you still absolutely must watch. So it might. All right, we'll see. But I took your advice. So, uh, listeners, I want you to know you really. Um, I hope you're. The whole reason we have this whole check it out section is because there's another podcast that I listen to that has weekly recommends. And I've taken many of those weekly recommends that have been books or shows and, and enjoyed them. And so uh, I wanted to do something similar, sort of pay it forward. Yeah. And um, a week or two ago, you recommended 30 Rock, which is available on Peacock. And I have seen 30 Rock before, most of it, not all of it. But I have restarted it. It is hilarious. That's It's so good. It's, it's great. Highly recommended. So anyway, yeah. Great but this guess. week's Check It Out is beef for me. All right. Perfect. So thank you so much for listening to another episode. We really appreciate you sticking with us during baseball month. What's up next week, Noah? Um, I believe it's Field of Dreams. Is it? Is that, uh, what else would it be? The Natural. The Natural? It's going to be one or the other. We're going to surprise our listeners. 
All right. Well, which one is streaming and which one is not? Um, I think Field of Dreams is not streaming. How's uh, that possible? I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll find it, and it doesn't matter if it's streaming or not. We're going. We're yeah, going we're going to watch, gonna it, watch so it either way. So we'll yeah, see. Because our listeners are demanding our opinions. So tentatively, Field of Dreams, another Kevin Costner film. Yes. So we will see how that turns because out. Because he's made one or two, or three or four or five sports and, films, and I also do feel like a lot of non-baseball or sports interests in people. Probably saw Field of Dreams at yeah. some point. Oh yeah, I think it's one of those crossover movies. Yeah, there's sure. a tagline from that. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yes. we'll talk about that during that episode. Well, great. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. We will see you next week. But until then, I'm Noah. I'm Greg, and this is Easy Talk.